As always, thank you for being here. I know that you have so many things going on in the week. Thank you for making time to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ, or for those that are watching online, thank you for participating in our midweek Bible study. We hope that this is as encouraging for you as your presence is uh, for all of us. I read a story this week about something that happened back in 2016 in Houston, and since it was in Texas, I thought that was particularly relevant for us. But there were two Facebook groups that organized rallies that were sort of a a rally or a protest and a counter-protest. One of the Facebook groups organized a, a rally or a protest that was to stop the, quote, Islamification of Texas, to stop the Islamification of Texas. So they were protesting and rallying against Islam. And then the other group rallied a group that was for the saving of Islamic knowledge. And so they they got these two protests and counter-protests organized, and it was on the same day at the same time, and one was on one side of the street, and one was on the other side of the street, and of course they were both protesting, and at some point uh, it began to get confrontational, and there were even verbal attacks against one another. Well, they they did some research about what started all this and and why were these rallies organized in the first place, and it turns out that both of the Facebook groups that organized these rallies were both run by Russian hackers. And so these hackers were manipulating and lying and stirring people up to conflict against one another. And this book that we've been studying and kind of using as the the guide for the Wednesday night Bible class called Live No Lies by John Mark Comer, he makes the point, and I thought it was an excellent point, when we talk about spiritual warfare, we tend to picture like maybe World War II or maybe like the, the Revolutionary War or the Civil War where armies kind of lined up against one another and everybody could see where the enemy was and you were firing against one another. Or maybe we picture like Lord of the Rings and we picture a castle and the, the enemies charging the gates. But he said it's it's actually more like dealing with hackers. It's more like our modern sort of warfare because what we're dealing with, what we're dealing with isn't like enemies that we can see. We're not dealing with people that are using weapons against us. We're we're dealing with ideas. We're dealing with ideas. And, And that's the way Satan operates against us is lying to us and manipulating us and stirring us up, and then as we talked about last week, when we believe those lies, and then when we not just believe them in our mind, or believe them in our head, or believe them even in our heart, but when we begin to operate our lives according to those lies, Satan brings our lives to ruin, and that's how he operates. He operates, again, not by coming, if if Satan was this red, uh, horned, pitchfork-wielding character that we could see coming, we could all deal with him, but he deals with us by lying to us and manipulating us and stirring us up. And and our, our warfare is to not believe his lies. If you have your Bible, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Actually, actually, I want to go back. I'm sorry, before we get there. 
I, I, th th this was a great quote I, I heard this week too. The point of modern propaganda is to, actually even before that one, I'm sorry. I, I got way ahead of myself. The point of modern propaganda isn't only to misinform or push an agenda, it is to exhaust our critical thinking to annihilate the truth. And, and then I, I kind of put it this way, that the devil's goal in deceiving is not just for you to believe something that is not true, but for you to believe that nothing is really true. To undermine the very idea of truth. Not just for you to believe one lie, but for you to believe that nothing is really true. Nothing is ultimately true. And, and think about where, where we can easily get to if we're not careful, so that we get to the point where we think that everything is subjective. Everything is relative. We talk about how you have your truth and I have my truth and you should just live your truth and I will live my truth. And we don't think that there is an ultimate truth or that there is a truth that is true universally. Now, there is, of course, there, there are things, of course, that are relative. You know, you think that pizza is good, and I think that hamburgers are better, or you think the carpet should be brown, and I think it should be red, or, or there are things that are relative, and there are things that are subjective, but not everything is relative or subjective. And Satan's goal, I believe, is to not just to get us to believe one thing or the other thing that's not true, but for us to ultimately get to the point where we think nothing is ultimately true, nothing is universally true, and where we think the only thing that I can trust is my own thoughts. The only thing that I can trust is my own feelings, and Satan wants to undermine the very idea of truth. So now, if you have your Bible, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Of course, this is the garden scene right after the creation when everything was good and in harmony and perfect. In fact, I think harmony is one of the best ways to describe the garden. There was harmony between humans and God. There was harmony between humans and the rest of creation. There was harmony between humans and other humans. And best of all, there was no death. There was no death because there was no sin. And, and Adam and Eve weren't forced by the serpent to eat the fruit that they were forbidden to eat, were they? They weren't forced to eat it. They ate it because Eve especially was lied to. She was deceived. She was fooled. She was tricked. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The serpent, who is later identified as the devil, right? He is described as being what? Crafty. He's not just deceitful, but he's crafty. He's strategic in his deceitfulness. And the serpent, in his craftiness, in his cunningness, in his strategy, he deceives her. And notice how he deceives her. He deceives her, first of all, by asking a question. And what's the question? 
Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? It's like he's saying, hey, I, I heard, I heard, I heard a rumor that God won't let you eat from any of these trees. Was that true? No. And notice how he's asking it and he's sort of planting a seed of deceit. I heard that God won't let you eat any of these trees. I heard that God won't let you have any of this fruit. I heard that God is keeping all these good things from you. Why is he asking a question like that? Because he wants her to doubt God's goodness. To doubt God's generosity. This is how Satan operates, isn't it? For us to begin to doubt God's goodness, for us to doubt God's generosity, for us to doubt that God wants what is best for us. And if Satan can cause us to believe that, God doesn't really want what's best for you. God is keeping all kinds of good things away from you. God doesn't want you to have any fun. God doesn't want you to be happy. God doesn't want you to enjoy yourself. God doesn't want you to have any of these good things. And if he can get us to believe that, then we might believe that his way or the way that is not God's way is the way to happiness. Look at verse 2. And the woman said to the servant, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God did say, he said, you shall not eat of the the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So she said, well, there, there there is one tree and we're not supposed to eat from that tree. In fact, maybe she even adds to that, we're not even supposed to touch that tree. She, she didn't say, oh, oh, oh just, no, 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 focus on all of this stuff that we, we can have. No, 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 you're, you're totally wrong, serpent. You're totally wrong. We can have all of it. Look at all of this good fruit, and we can eat of all of this and enjoy all of this. She said, well, there, there is one. There is one tree that he's keeping from us. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice how he says, God knows. God knows. He knows what's going to happen. And, and he's keeping this away from you intentionally because God doesn't want you to have what he has. God doesn't want you to be like him. Now, Notice the irony of this, because when God created human beings, he made them in his what? In his image, in his likeness. So in a way, in a sense, they were like God, but they were also subject to God. God was over them. And Satan's lie is that you don't have to be under God. You can be equal to God. You can be autonomous. You can do what you want to do and have everything that God has. And God knows that. And he doesn't want you to have it. Do you see how the the heart and the root of Satan's lies are that God's way is not the way to ultimate happiness and joy. 
God's way is not the way of ultimate fulfillment. So if you listen to God, you're, you're missing out. If you listen to God, you're going to lose out. If you, you listen to God, you're not going to have what he knows you could have. And then, of course, he says, you're not going to die. And, and Satan likes to erase the consequences and say, no, 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 no consequences. No consequences. You're not going to have consequences. There's not going to be death. And all of this, of course, is untrue. Look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for what? Food. And that it was a delight to the eyes. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. See, and this, this is so important, isn't it? When it comes to understanding the lies of Satan and and how they affect me and how they affect you. Because it's not just that he lies to us about the goodness of God or about an alternative way to happiness and joy. It's not just that he's a deceiver. It's not just that he is cunning. It's not just that he's strategic or crafty. It's that his lies... The devil's lies appeal to our flesh. The devil's lies appeal to our flesh. This is a a word that Paul uses throughout his writings, flesh. Some translations translate it as uh, sinful nature. But, But the word there is literally flesh. And flesh could, of course, mean your skin. But I don't think Paul means like your skin, like literally your flesh. He's saying... There is an aspect of you, there is an aspect of me that is weak, that is weak. It's weak in a couple of different ways. It's weak mortally, right, because we die, we're we're made out of dirt and we turn back into dirt and from the moment we are born, we begin to die. So from the the fall on, we we are weak mortally. We, we begin to die, and we don't have access to the tree of life, and so we are going to die. But it's not just that we are weak mortally, we are also weak morally. Right. We like things easy, don't we? Yes, we? We have desires and passions, and we want those desires and passions to be fulfilled, not eventually, we want the desires and passions to be filled right now. Right. We have impulses. And Satan's lies are effective precisely because of this. They are, they are effective not just because of who he is. They are effective because of who you are. Amen. Now, now, sometimes we don't like to admit this. We like to think that all of our desires are good desires. All of our passions are good passions. All of our wants are good wants. Or that fulfilling them in the the ways that we want to is is all good and right and acceptable and, and will actually lead to happiness. But scripture teaches us over and over and over and over again, not all that is in you is good. Not all that is in you is strong. Not all that is in you is spiritual. And Satan plays to that part of us, that part of us that's weak, that, that part of us that's, that's earthly, that part of us that's fleshly, that part of us that's fallen. And his lies are effective in me, and his lies are effective in you precisely because of this reason, because they appeal to our flesh. Things like this. 
You deserve to have what you desire. That's a good lie, isn't it? It feels good to hear that, doesn't it? I tell myself that all the time. And probably so do you. We tell ourselves, I, I deserve this. I deserve this. I, I deserve for this desire. I deserve for this want to be fulfilled, for it to be satisfied. I have this desire, and God probably, probably wants me to have this. You deserve this. And, and Satan's lies are so effective because they play to our passions. They play to our wants. They play to our desires. Or how about this lie? This, whatever this is, will make your pain or your problems go away. That's a good lie, isn't it? We tell ourselves that all the time, don't we? And there are, there are things that Christians obviously look at and we say, oh, that's, that's a bad way to try to make your problems go away. That's a bad way to sort of self-medicate your problems. But there are other ways that are more socially acceptable for us to medicate our problems, but it all comes from the same root, doesn't it? I was talking to a preacher friend the other day, and he was saying, you know, Christians would, would look at someone who says, yeah, if you, if you are believing this lie and you're using like drugs or you're getting drunk or you're, or you're looking at pornography in order to satisfy this, in order to make your pain go away, if you're getting into an illicit relationship in order to make your pain go away, Christians would, would look at that and say that's wrong and we would try to help that brother or help that sister. But he said, you know, for years... I'd get done preaching and I'd be tired and exhausted and then I'd go and I'd, I'd satisfy my pain. I'd try to make my pain go away by overeating and overeating and overeating. If we're not careful, whatever it is, whatever it is, it might be pornography. It might be alcohol. It might be drugs. It might be a relationship. But Satan's lie is this, this thing, this thing, this, this pleasure, this want, this desire, if you give in to this, if you indulge this, this will make your pain or your problems go away. But as we said last week, what happens, what happens when we begin to operate our lives according to a distorted view of reality? It hurts, doesn't it? It, do, it doesn't actually make the pain go away. It doesn't actually make the problems go away. In fact, they usually get worse. Or at best, we just push them down the road a little bit. But then we become enslaved. We become addicted to whatever it is that we're using and abusing to take our mind off of our problems. But this is why Satan's lies are so effective. They're not just random lies. They're strategic lies. They're crafty lies. They're cunning lies. They're lies that appeal to your desires, to your passions, to your flesh. Or how about this one? How about this lie? You can't let them get away with that. Did you hear what they said? You hear what they said about you? You hear what they, you see what they're doing? 
You, you know what they're up to? You can't let them get away with that. And if you don't say something, if you don't talk about them to behind their back or to their face, if you don't put them in their place, if you don't slap them back, if you don't get back at them, if you don't get even with them, they're going to get away with it. And that's a lie too, isn't it? It's a lie because they're not going to get away with it. Nobody's going to get away with anything. God's going to judge. God's going to handle it. God's going to set it right. But Satan wants you to believe that lie. He wants you to believe that when you're gossiping about someone, what you're really doing is dealing out justice. And he wants you to think that when you send that nasty text or that nasty email or you put somebody in their place or you do whatever it is to them to get back at them, that you're doing what you have to do. And we want to believe that, don't we? Because it appeals to our flesh. It appeals to our flesh. All of these lies appeal to our flesh. Ignatius of Loyola, I like this quote, he said, sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. Sin is an unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. And I love this quote by John Mark Comer. We sin because we believe a lie about what will make us happy. That, that, that's, that's when we sin, isn't it? Because we think that if I send that, if I send that email... If I, if I send them that text, if I, if I say that about them, if I tell so-and-so what they're up to, if I, if I do this thing, or if I indulge this passion, or if I indulge this desire, or if I get into this relationship, or if I smoke that, or drink that, or look at that, then, then I'll be happy. And it's a lie. It's just a, a downward spiral, isn't it? And we become enslaved Satan enslaves us and ruins us because we believe the lie. Again, Satan isn't this red character with horns and a pitchfork and a tail that we can say, there he is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight against him. He, he, operates us, he operates against us with lies, with half-truths. And not just lies, but lies that appeal to our flesh. They tell us if you do this, if you operate your life this way, then you will be happy. And there's a part of us, that's why when, when we hear something, and maybe we hear it in a movie, or, or maybe we, we hear it in a song, or, or maybe we hear it from a friend, or, or maybe it's just a, something that we tell ourselves. And there's a part of us probably that says, I, I know that might not be right. I know that might not be right, but I want to believe that. It's when we want to believe that something is true, when we want to believe that it's true, that's when there ought to be a red flag that goes up, warning, warning, flashing red light, stop, 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 wait just a second. This is appealing to your flesh. Is this true? Is this true? Is it true? Is it true that this relationship, is it true that going on this website, is it true that drinking this, is it true that eating this, is it true that doing this, is it true that going there, is it true that whatever, fill in the blank, will really make you happy? 
I mean, don't get me wrong, it might make you happy for a while. We're not saying that sin doesn't feel good, because it certainly does, doesn't it? Hebrews 11 says, it calls it the fleeting, the fleeting pleasures of sin. And it might make you happy for a moment. But the lie is that it's going to take away your pain. It's going to take away your problems. It's going to make you ultimately happy. And that's why we, we just keep chasing the next, the next hit of whatever that is. And we become ensnared by it. We, be, we become enslaved to it. Because we've begun to operate our lives according to this lie. And this applies to every single one of us. That we've all believed lies about what will make us ultimately happy. God does want us to be happy. He wants us to be happy forever. He wants us to be happy in the long term. And sin only keeps you happy for a moment. And then it enslaves you. And it traps you. And Jesus says the truth will set you free. And he is the truth that will set you free. And that's why over and over and over and over again in the New Testament, the way that Christians are encouraged to engage in spiritual warfare, if you will, is to not be deceived. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now again, as, as I always say, when we, we look at lists like this, we have a tendency to gravitate towards the sins that we don't struggle with, right? And we look at those sins, see, see, I told you, I told you, you're not supposed to do that kind of stuff. Wait, wait, don't, don't necessarily look at those. Look at the ones that, that appeal to your flesh, the lies that you believe. And Paul says, do not be deceived. He'll go on to say, such were some of you. This is how you lived, but you've been set free. You've been washed. You've been cleansed. You've been purified. You've been sanctified. So don't be deceived into going back into that. Pleasure and treasure and power. Pleasure and treasure and power. Over and over again, these, these types of deceits tend to fall into these categories, don't they? Money, treasure, sex, pleasure, power. What you can say about somebody, what you can do to somebody, how you can hurt somebody, how you can exercise or lord authority over someone else. These are the types of deceits and lies that appeal to our flesh. Pleasure and treasure and power and Satan says, this, this pleasure, or this treasure, or this power, this will make you happy. And I've believed it, and you've believed it. And Paul says, don't believe it anymore. You, you know better now. You know better now. Do not be deceived. Colossians 2, verse 4. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. 
Again, over and over again in the New Testament, Christians are warned about false teachers because false teachers are peddling lies from Satan. They're peddling lies from the devil and they're so effective. False teachers are effective. Why? Because we want to believe them. They say things that appeal to us. It sounds good. It sounds, if that's true, then I can do what I want. If that's true, then I can have pleasure. If that's true, I can have treasure. If that's true, I can have power. And they appeal to our flesh. And Paul says, I'm writing these things. I'm saying these things to you so that no one deludes you with plausible arguments. Second Timothy chapter 3 He writes to young Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. See, this is how Satan operates. He deceives. He lies. He fools us. He tricks us. I don't know if Holly would get upset. She's not in here, so I can say whatever I want. But um, don't, don't, don't tell her. Um, but, but, but she and my sister both recently lost their, their Instagram accounts. They got hacked and taken over. So if Holly sends you anything on Instagram Messenger, it's not her. But, but that, that's, the way, that's, the way, that's the way these things work, isn't it? Somebody sends you a message and you think, well, I know this person, but it's a lie. It's a deceit. It's a trap. It's fooling you. It's deceiving you. And Satan operates the same way. And it's not always obvious. If it was obvious, none of us would fall victim to it. If it was obvious, the apostles wouldn't have to warn us over and over and over again, don't be deceived. 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. How often were Christians in the first century warned about that phrase, led astray, led astray. Jesus has a way for you to walk. In fact, the word Christianity isn't in the Bible. The word Christianity isn't in the Bible. They they called Christianity the way, the way, the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. This is the lifestyle that Jesus told us to walk. This is the path that Jesus put us on. This is the road that Jesus put us on. And Satan tells us, no, 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 you don't have to walk that way. That way is hard. That way is hard. God's keeping you all these good things from you over here. Come over here and go this way. And that's why the apostles and the evangelists and shepherds and teachers had to constantly warn Christians, don't be deceived. Don't be led astray. Satan is going to say, this other way, this other way is more fun. This other way leads to more pleasure. This other way leads to more treasure. This other way leads to more power. But don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Let no one 
deceive you. Let no one deceive you. That's why we've got to constantly be on guard. Constantly be on guard. This isn't, this isn't a, a holier-than-thou, you know, puritanical kind of thing. It's, I don't want to be tricked. I don't want to be fooled. We don't want each other to be tricked. We don't want each other to be fooled. We don't want each other to be deceived. Because it hurts. It hurts when you are deceived, when you're lied to. When you're fooled, when you're tricked, it hurts. There are consequences to being deceived. Romans chapter 1, Paul is describing the whole Gentile world. He says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Suppress the truth. And then skipping down to verse 25, he says, Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And finally, the last book of the New Testament, Revelation chapter 20, mentions being deceived and the deceiving over and over again. Chapter 20 and verse 9, they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city, but fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What does the devil do? He deceives. He tricks. He fools. And his lies aren't always obvious. And they're often filled with half-truths. And they almost always... They almost always say, I have a better way to be happy. Discipleship isn't the best way to be happy. Faithfulness isn't the best way to be happy. It's not the way to be ultimately fulfilled. And we want to believe that, don't we? We want to believe that. Because there's times when taking up our cross and following Jesus is hard. It's hard. But Jesus says, if you lose your life for my sake, that's when you really find it. It's only when you die to self, when you crucify, you crucify your desires, you crucify your passions, you crucify your wants, you take up your cross and follow Jesus, that's when you find life. It isn't that God wants you to be miserable. God wants you to be happy. God wants you to be fulfilled forever. He wants something better for you than a lie. He wants something better for you than to be deceived. He wants something better for you than the enslavement that accompanies the lie. He wants you to be free forever. But in order for you to be free, in order for me to be free, we have to stand in the truth. We have to seek the truth. We have to believe the truth, even when the truth is hard to believe. We have to be intentional not to be deceived. So that's my encouragement tonight. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. I have been. You have been. We know what it is to be deceived. But th this, this is spirituality. This is Christian spirituality. This is Christian spiritual warfare, 
is for us to seek the truth and hold on to the truth and to be intentional about not being deceived. One last quote, it won't be on the screen, but one last quote from John Mark Comer. He said, the devil can't make us do anything as followers of Jesus. We have to choose it. To get us to choose evil, our enemy has to fool us into walking down a path other than the one Jesus laid down for us, thinking it will lead us to happiness. That's how Satan gets us, is by telling us that this other path, this alternative path, this other fruit, that's what will lead to happiness. And to our shame, we've believed him, haven't we? You've believed him. I've believed him. You thought that looking at that or going to that place or being with that person or drinking that or smoking that or saying that or tweeting that or texting that or whatever, that that, that would fix it, that that would bring happiness. But it only brought more shame and guilt, entrapment and enslavement, misery and heartbreak Jesus wants to not only forgive us, of course he wants to forgive us, he wants to set us free. He wants something better for us. And the life that's better is the life of discipleship and walking by the Spirit, believing the truth, and not being deceived. Let's pray. Father God, I have been deceived. I've been lied to. I've been fooled, I've been tricked. And Father, I know that I speak for everyone here when I say we all have. We've fallen victim to Satan's lies and deceit. And Father, we pray that you give us eyes to see the truth. Give us eyes to believe the truth. Give us a heart to seek the truth and to stand in the truth. Help us, Father, to not be deceived. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 